Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the latest Seahawks Nest episode. Um, you may notice that this is not the voice that typically introduces things, but I am here with the Wendy Torrance to my Danny Torrance, and that's Eric Ronnebeck. Ooh, going with the Torrance. I like that. Well, you know, a little nod to the movie club later on, and also a nod to our very own Jack Torrance, who's not here, the ghost himself, <laughs> Nathan Santo. Um, so this is a Nathanless episode. He is um, he's currently dead. He'll be alive again next week um, so that he'll be able to play. Uh, he's out sick. And those of you who listened to last week's episode, um, he, he didn't want to do that again. Yeah, the crud got him. Like, it's, everyone's falling around me at work. So I'm kind of like, uh, what do I do? Yeah, they're really taking this uh, uh, like viral marketing for Last of Us uh, way too seriously. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> um. So we're going to start with a, a little bit of around the NFL. And over the weekend, uh, we had two playoff games played. One of them was a playoff game and the other one was uh, was basically a public execution in the middle of a football field. Um, which one would you like to start with, Eric? Uh, let's, uh, let's do dessert last, Kevin. I'd like to start with the AFC, please. All right. Uh, man after my own heart, the, uh, the the public flogging of our enemies is the dessert. So we're starting with Chiefs over Bengals and uh, Andy Reid and crew co- going to the uh, going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about this one? I, uh, I'm OK with really any team that wins from the AFC. I don't hate the Chiefs and I was rooting for the Bengals. The problem that I have is the Bengals did so much trash talking before the game and they flubbed it at the end, um, not just with uh, the linebacker coming in on that late hit, but just allowing Ketchup Kermit to get that first down, to run for yardage. Um, I'm pretty certain they'd have gotten a field goal position anyway. It's Patrick Mahomes. The guy is, is he the best quarterback in the NFL? If not, then, you know, you're. We're, I think we're splitting hairs. Um so yeah, it was Patrick a little Mahomes disappointing. Makes throws that only Patrick Mahomes. Makes. Yes, behind the back, no look interceptions. Even that only Patrick Mahomes really makes because he's the only one who can get away with that. Um, yeah, it's like the old Michael Jordan playing horse commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Bird around the world off the McDonald's. Uh, no, I really wanted the Bengals to win this one, but uh, I thought, man, Bengals Eagles would be such a killer Super Bowl. But alas, um, we only get uh, half of that. And uh, the Chiefs go on, which is, hey, good for the Chiefs there. They deserve it. And they kind of redeem themselves from their loss last year in the AFC championship. Yeah, they kind of have a chance at uh, cinching like dynasty status here, too, if they're able to win it, because that'll be a couple of Super Bowls, um, a host of uh, uh, AFC championship games. That's that's a pretty impressive little run they've been on. Well, and I think there's a lot to be said for teams that can win back to back or what the one time we saw it three in a row, but if you are consistently in the championship picture and you go to multiple Super Bowls, meaning you won one, you lose one, you don't make one, and then you're in and you win, I I feel like that's dynasty status. So uh, they're they're one win away. They give them the modern dynasty, like the Patriots kind of skewed everything. Uh, you know, I felt like Joe Burrow really like played his heart out in this game too. Uh, he gave Higgins and Chase a lot of chances to make plays, and uh, like you said, I think you're right. It was just a lot of dumb plays on the Bengals' uh, part towards the end that kind of let them down. And unfortunately, I hate how much the officiating factored into like the second half of the football game. Yeah, because I felt like both teams were really good, and you know, everybody's favorite team, the the black and white team, they were there to to make sure that we got our fill. Refs are always in a really tough spot, but yeah, I'm seeing that a lot, Kevin. I mean, we can go into it in the next game too, but it does feel like the zebras have, I don't know. I, I can't just say it's just me because I'm getting older and I'm supposed to not care about that stuff, <clears throat> but I'm just seeing it week in and week out. Like it just feels like something is one-sided or calls are bad across the board and not just bad, but just like game changing plays. That's inconsistent, right? Like, that's the thing that always gets me is from game to game or even like call to call. I feel like there's a lot of issues with the rules where it could be super inconsistent. They could be outsourcing some of this to, you know, RFID chips in the football, things like that. But they choose not to. And we're back to having the what is a catch debate. Like it's, you know, like it's 2013 all over again. Yeah, like Calvin Johnson's sacrificing himself yet again. All right, so let's go ahead and skip on over to the NFC Championship game. 
Um, the bloodletting that was the Eagles taking the 49ers behind the woodshed. Uh, this, man, if you are not a team that, if you're not like an Eagles fan or somebody that really hates the 49ers, this was a horrible game. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> but I sure hate the 49ers, so it was a great game. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that the uh, announcers didn't hate the 49ers. That's one thing I want to say right now is I felt like the announcing team of Greg Olson and whoever was with him, I can't even remember now. Um, the 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 theme of the game wasn't how good the Eagles were or how dominant the Eagles were until the very end. It was more or less just, you know, oh, the 49ers, oh, it's a poor team. They lost seven quarterbacks this season and they just can't hold on. It's like, I don't care. Like, give some props to the Eagles. Um, Nathan on the podcast said he liked this team a lot at the beginning of the year and how much he loved Jalen Hurts. Uh, Eagles deserve to be in the Super Bowl. I feel like it would have been a lot closer, but still an Eagles win had uh, Brock Purdy not uh, died on the field. But um, and now that DeMar Hamlin is okay, I can make that joke. Uh, it's it, it's a it's a believe me, I know what I'm saying. Uh, it, it sucks that just the narrative was, you know, oh, poor 49ers, because I know that's the team that it feels like America always cares about. Like Joe Montana's gone. He's gone. He's not coming back. Move on. Give the Eagles some props. You know, San Francisco fans should have known that if you're going to put Brock Purdy up on the cross like that, that uh, him having to die for your playoff sins was inevitable. Did you catch uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, nonverbals on the sideline? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, wow. Was, wow. Uh, I don't think he's playing for San Francisco next year. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, you know, <laughs> you could see this man just kind of having a good time on the sideline. That's not, uh, I don't know. He's either the best person on your sideline or the worst. Yeah. Jimmy G over there. Like, Oh, oh I'm glad you didn't suit me up for this game. Really good job. Calling Seriously. Good job guys. Way to go there. Serves him right. <laughs> yeah. It did feel good though. 49ers lost and they lost big. Yeah. That's the other thing is it was, they, they lost by what? Uh, 21. So they lost by three scores. Yep. So if you lose by three scores, you could complain about refs all you want. Like you lost, you lost big. It didn't matter. Like they could have called it any way they wanted to, and you were going to lose by more than a touchdown. Well, that you got <clears throat> whooped. That first drive where, geez, Kevin was it? Uh, who dropped the ball? Who who got the catch? Who actually didn't get the catch? Oh, Devontae Smith. It was Devontae Smith. Um, the Slim Reaper. Yeah. Have you ever seen any receiver? in the first corner, like get up from a catch and immediately tell his team to huddle up and hike the ball. That never happens. He's telling you that he didn't catch the ball. He didn't want to <laughs> challenge. And these guys didn't challenge it. They didn't take a timeout. They didn't do anything. It's the first. That's the time to do it. That is bad coaching. Yeah, I, it's just, it, this was a, this is a well-rounded victory for Philly. Um, their pass rush was like big time on display in this one um, run game really carved them up. I, I felt like this was a good showing for a team kind of to ride into a Super Bowl, especially a team like for as much as everyone called Minnesota frauds and yes. uh, they were, <laughs> I was going to uh, say everyone on this <laughs> podcast called Minnesota frauds. Uh, Philly like kind of has been getting this downplay where it's like, well, the NFC is not that good right now. So, Philly's winning, but like, what does that really mean? And to go in strong and to blow out a team that has as much hype as the 49ers to show a sustainable pass rush and um, a quality run game, two things that are kind of like hallmarks of traditional playoff football. I think, uh, I think that is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in two weeks. Um, it'll be fun though. Good helmet matchup. So uh, as our Super Bowl preview, then uh, just to kind of give it a kickoff, we'll, we'll be doing more over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. But we have Chiefs versus Eagles. Everyone's going to call it the Andy Reid Bowl. Yes. And we could talk about what it means to be the Andy Reid Bowl. But I have a different question. <laughs> if it is an Andy Reid Bowl, what would an Andy Reid Bowl be filled with? And I don't think you mean football. Or maybe you do mean football. I mean, we're going to... I don't know. It could be anything. This is this is an open... <laughs> we're bringing back the hypothetical. 
what what once was in the place of movie club. We're bringing back the Seahawks S hypothetical, and that is, what would an Andy Reid bowl be filled with in your mind? The olden times, Kevin. I I've been thinking about this. I think it's pretty simple. Andy Reid, coached in Philadelphia, the home of the cheesesteak, the home of history, also the home of the cheesesteak. Now he's in Kansas City, the home of barbecue. It's sauce barbecue. It's smoke barbecue. It's Gates. It's Anto- uh, Anthony Bryant's. Is that right? Antonio Bryant's. Now I'm just saying football names. Either way, it's delicious food all the Paul way around. Bear Bryant's. <laughs> Paul Bear Bryant's. Uh, the Stackhouse. Great barbecue there. So what is in the Andy Reid Bowl? <laughs> Kevin, I think it might be Philadelphia cheesesteak style mac and cheese with barbecue pork. <laughs> that is what's in the Andy Reid Bowl. Barbecued pulled pork uh, in Philly style mac and cheese. Yes. And you might say, Eric, that's too much. Yes, it is the Andy Reid Bowl. That's a pretty good one. I, I think some type of barbecue has to be in here. But you know what? He's a man of culture. He's a man of sophistication. He's a man of many things. And so I think the Andy Reid Bowl is just filled with Kansas City style barbecue sauce so that he could just dip whatever he wants in it. He could tote it around with him. So wherever he stopped, he's like, oh, oh, this would be pretty good. I bet it'd be even better with some Andy Reid barbecue sauce on it. Yeah, when he doesn't he have anything. Yeah, he just sticks his finger in there. And it's, yeah. I like that one too, Kevin. It'd be like, oh, I need a little pep up. And just like like stick his finger in there. Have a little have a little Andy Reid barbecue sauce out of the Andy Reid bowl. Yeah, it's it's uh, 80s cocaine in movies is Andy <laughs> Reid with barbecue sauce now. Just sticks his whole face in there and it's covered. Yeah, it rubs like... it in his gums. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it's funny. This is uh, the battle of uh, basically the man who is supposedly the quarterback whisperer and. <laughs> I don't know. He is. And then he got Patrick Mahomes. Like he helped make Patrick Mahomes great, but there's a reason why the Seahawks wanted to trade Russell Wilson for the opportunity to get Patrick Mahomes all those years ago. Um, Good for Andy Reid though. I don't harbor any ill will against him. And despite growing up in the AFC West uh, with the Seahawks, I certainly don't have any, any uh, sort of ill feelings towards the chiefs. They're not the Broncos or the Raiders. Those are the teams I don't like. Yeah. All I can think of, the entire playoff game uh, for Kansas City was, man, I am so glad that the 49ers were hanging on to the very end of the Harbaugh years and didn't scoop up Andy Reid when he was on the on the market. Yeah, because, oh, man, how much would it suck to not be able to love Andy Reid because he uh, he coaches the team that you hate? That'd be bad. It's it's funny, Kevin. Depriving. There's that. But also look at what Denver did now. Denver got Sean Payton today and that. That, so I get to keep hating him. Well, that's the thing. I don't have to worry about him coaching the Cardinals. Like that oh, was a concern. Yeah. I was like, I don't want the Cardinals to be good. When they had a uh, Kurt Warner, that was awful because there are all these people that were like, oh, I've never watched the Cardinals in my life. I'm 70 years old. Let's go watch a game because we're all retired. I have no respect. <laughs> no respect for that fan base. So uh, I'm, I'm glad Sean Payton went to Denver for that reason. Yeah. Bad fan base, cursed field, which is a terrible franchise. All right, uh, so next thing up, we're going to have a more robust free agency primer, but talk is already turning towards the Geno Smith contract. It kind of was towards the end of the year, and I just wanted to do a kind of a quick a quick taking of the pulse. So real quick, what do you think Geno's contract is going to be, and what contract do you want to give him? This is tough because we've talked about this before, like just vaguely. What do you what do you see Gino getting? Uh, there was what Richard Sherman said where what he thinks that anything less than was it 36 million is a disservice to Gino. It was something like that. <clears throat> and you're going to find out in the coming weeks. Uh, where is Eric flip flopping on Gino Smith this week? And right now. I'm all about a short front-loaded contract. So if you can get somehow a two-year deal where you're paying Gino, I don't care how much next year, but the year after that, and maybe if it has to be three years, I want to be able to get out of this contract, Kevin. That's basically what I want. Because 
as much, and I've said this in the last few weeks, as much as I like Geno Smith and what he's done for this franchise, keeping us afloat this year, and I do give him, I'm willing to give him 90% of the credit, okay? I don't see us winning a Super Bowl with Geno Smith. And yeah, I'm writing him off here. I don't think he can do it. And I'd love for him to prove me wrong. But I just don't think he's that quarterback. I think we need a young quarterback who, I don't know, someone impressive. Dare to dream, right? Like that's what Russell Wilson was for us. That's what Patrick Mahomes is. That's what Josh Allen is. That's what Joe Burrow is. I want the new shiny toy. And it's not going to be here with Geno Smith. And maybe we make a trade in the coming years or this year in the draft. Um, I want a short contract with Geno Smith. Big in the first, not so big in the second year. You said that you don't think that he can win us a Super Bowl, and I agree. Do you think we can win a Super Bowl with him, though? So he's not the one leading the charge, but can he be the quarterback of a team that we can strengthen otherwise that can go out and win a Super Bowl? That's a really good question because it's a totally different question. Maybe, Kevin. Look at the NFC Championship game and tell me how important a pass rush is. And we've said it on this podcast for years. We know how important it is. But look at what Philadelphia did to Brock Purdy. Look even what the 49ers did to us. Like revamping this defense is how it's going to have to be. And starting with the pass rush, front four and a linebacker or two. um, That's the only way I think that we're really going to turn the ship. Let's face it. I if you If you put Patrick Mahomes on the Seahawks right now, we're winning a couple more games because our defense is that bad. And our defense isn't like, oh, there's, you know, we got like three young guys that are only going to get better. Yeah, but they're not game changers. Tariq Woolen already had a great season. If he gets better, if he like goes to the next level, I don't think that significantly changes the outcome of these games with our defense. Our defense was porous. Our defense couldn't stop the run. Our defense couldn't get to the quarterback. We need to address those issues. So honestly, Kevin, yeah, if you can if you can get me a stud pass rush and improvement along the secondary, yeah, I think we might be able to. And I think it would take, we can make it to the NFC Championship as soon as next year, but I think a Super Bowl is probably a couple years away. Yeah, I think that's where I'm caught right now is, um, so we just had the NFL cap number come out. Uh, uh, so we have a little bit more firm numbers to work with, but the fact remains is that Seattle doesn't have a ton of money to go into free agency with, and we do have some pretty considerable needs. And so what ends up happening with, um, with Gino's contract is going to have a lot to do with what we're able to do or not do in free agency. If, we end up signing Gino to a short-term deal with high guarantees. It's going to leave us pretty strapped um, going into the offseason. We're going to be able to add like maybe one impact player. Impact player about, being like $10 million a year player? Yeah, exactly. We're going to be able to round out a roster and add like a $10 million a year guy. Um, you know, maybe like not a top of the market, but like a next tier uh, nose tackle. Something like that. So what do you see in the contract? Like, what do you want to see and what do you see in your crystal ball? Well, I think, honestly, I think the most likely thing to end up happening would be um, something that's around like three years with the first two being a lot heavier on the guarantees. Um, A contract that I think is interesting to model it after would be uh, Ryan Tannehill's deal. So Tannehill had a contract that um, it had... uh, 62 in guarantees, but it was like a functional 90 million guaranteed over four seasons. Okay. But so that had the average number a little bit under 30, but his cap hit the first season was only um, like around 22, 23. So obviously the market's a little bit different than it was then, you know, time goes by, um, et cetera. But I think something in that neighborhood where we're paying him like about a 30, 31 a year average on a four-year deal with uh, maybe a couple of uh, uh, void years at the end of it or something along those lines um, in order to be able to get that cap number down this season and next season. Because in that third season, we probably have his replacement on the roster, right? We have the rookie, we have whoever the heir apparent is, 
And so we're not going to be paying that player that much money. So our quarterback room will still cost as much as one starting quarterback does. It's just that starting quarterback may or may not be Gino, or we have the transition ready to go. I guess the thing that kind of concerns me is, you know, look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs had to say goodbye to Tyreek Hill this offseason. And that's fine, but their receivers are obviously their weakest part of their team. Now, you know, they have pass rush where they need it. It's not amazing, but they have it where they need it. Their their defense is okay. Patrick Mahomes is great. Travis Kelsey is great, but also aging. Um, this isn't the Chiefs team of a couple years ago. And, you know, when, when we won the Super Bowl and went back with Russell Wilson – our defense was key and we weren't paying Russ hardly anything. So I'm kind of like, Oh, I really want that. I really want that young quarterback and that young core where, you know, the, the defense that's getting paid a lot, maybe a, you know, the running back that's getting paid a lot, but you know, I'd like to, I really want that budget at quarterback, Kevin. Yeah, no, I get it. And then the question is at what point do we just move on? And I think we'll go ahead and, Speaking of moving on, kind of put a pin in this because it's going to be some offseason talk for probably the next several weeks. Absolutely. And it's time to get into our continued offseason review. And here at the Seahawks S podcast, we care about offense and we care about defense. But we care about all three phases. Special teams? Special teams indeed, sir. This is the special teams review. Uh, since Nathan couldn't make it, we figured we would go ahead and leave the big uh, defense discussion for next week. And we're going to take a, a, a little bit of time out of our day to talk about the Seahawks special teams. And we'll go ahead and start with kicking. Uh, kicker this season was Jason Myers. He handled uh, extra point, field goal, and kickoff duties. Um, any big things to say about Jason Myers this year, Theo? As much as Nathan likes to call him Otto Myers, uh, he's not he's not so Otto Myers. He's not so automatic as we like to think. But as far as kickers go, um, he's been clutch enough for us. He's been consistent. Jeez, um, I don't have his stats pulled up, but he didn't lose us any games with his kicking. Um, I think he missed a couple extra points. Maybe just one now that I think about it. He missed one extra point. That's what it was. You remember, you're thinking of... You're thinking of Odd year, Jason Myers. We had even year, yes. Jason Myers, this year. Uh, 41 for 42 on extra points. Uh, he had the fifth most extra points made, and uh, there were only six kickers that didn't miss an extra point all season um, with minimum 21 attempts. He was 34 for 37 on field goals made, fifth in field goal percentage, six for six on field goals of 50 or more yards. That's that's the big stat, and that's the one I knew, is when you give him the distance, he's going to hit that. Now, the Seahawks did extend him, which is great, but are you worried about the even year? Yeah, I am. Uh, it <laughs> it's Kickers are like relief pitchers in baseball, where they're inherently like... Um, it's, it's a position where you never want to have too much tied up because who knows what's going to happen, uh, like from season to season, it's really like, it's really, it's really common to see kickers have off years or have amazing years. Like it, it bounces back and forth. And so just like when I see the Mariners spend a ton of money on a relief pitcher and I'm kind of like, uh, this might be terrible when I see us going out and, uh, you know, signing a new deal. And so by annual value, this contract makes him the second highest kicker, highest paid kicker, um, which, I mean, that's concerning. Uh, his cap hit next season, though, is uh, actually down to $3 million. And hmm. this is interesting to me because it kind of makes me think about uh, what I was just talking about with Gino, where it's like, oh, so we extended him to make a little bit more free space next year on like Mike money wise. Um, and, and so that's interesting to me, kind of what the, what that says about the long-term strategy. There. Does it key? Does it, I'm not looking at the contract. Does it kick up to like four, 4.25 the next year? Uh, it goes up to five and a half. Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Six and six and a half. Oh, oh, I'm getting that's sick. A lot of money on the, uh, on the cap. Hit I'm there. getting sick. Michael Dixon's going to want some of that money. Um, all right. Well, hey, we got one more year of Jason Myers. Um, <laughs> hey, look at look at what's his name, uh, Brent Maher in Dallas. Like, do you want that to happen? 
or do you want to stick with Jason Myers? I think it's going to be at least two. Like we can't get out of it for at least two seasons. Um, on the on the bright side, if we did get out of it after two seasons, that does give us another even year. So you know, well, if he's this good, if he's consistent, then we're not even going to think about it because really, you're looking at where to cut cap space, and you'll say like, "Oh, the characters get paid a lot, but man, he's really good." So you don't, you wouldn't second guess it. Yeah, I feel like Sebastian Janikowski pulling that Olay maneuver on the kick return <laughs> just burned Pete so hard. He's like, never again uh, will I have to sign a kicker like that. It will never happen again the rest of my career. He's just like vehement about it. Well, you can't uh, can't stretch when you're when you're trying to finish that pack of cigarettes, Kevin. That's right. I'm glad he got up out of the Barca lounger for the kicks every <laughs> once in a while. Uh, the other position, that's that's the interesting thing. So we have the second highest paid kicker and we have the highest paid punter in the league. Well, I mean, looking at that, looking at that punter the Seahawks have in, uh, in Michael Dixon, it's, whew, tell you what, I got, I got, I got dreams of punt hub anytime I watch him. Uh, that's, so Michael Dixon is the highest paid punter. Um, clearly the Seahawks care about all three phases as well. He was seventh in yards per punt with uh, 48.4. He was second in, or seventh in yards per punt, second in net yards um, with uh, 44.4. And uh, he had 25 out of 66 punts were inside the 20 with only three touchbacks. So still pretty good at nailing it down inside the 20, which is uh, which is kind of the skill that we're paying for there. Yeah. And also Pete's done some kind of goofy things <laughs> with Michael Dixon this season. So I feel like, um, you know, move his stats up a little bit, and that's probably a, a truer reflection of his talent. Yeah, yeah. The, there's been – I guess if we're going to keep playing coward ball and punting all the time, we probably need somebody who uh, who can do some interesting things with his legs. Yeah. Uh, the one that I want to hear your opinion on the most, though, is the return game. Ah. Because we had a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, wind in our sails. Uh, Godwin Iguabike was was a delight towards the end of the season. What do you think about the uh, the emergent Godwin uh, as our kick returner in the the last few weeks of the year? First of all, congrats on getting his name. Uh, I know that we've struggled with that in this podcast. I was not going to say anything. I was going to let everyone else, um, you know. Uh, screw up his name. Actually, I really liked it a lot. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to be able to bring us back, um, you know, many touchdowns, but looking like how many kick return touchdowns do we have in the NFL this year? Like, hold on. I'm looking at this right now because I want to say it's like five. It wasn't a lot. So it's with the NFL trying to protect their players more, which is a good thing. The kick return touchdown is not something you see so much. It's more on punts. And honestly, I want a guy who's one going to make good decisions. That means, you know, not try and cut back and lose, you know, 15 yards trying to get an extra five. And I also want someone who's going to hold him to the ball. Six total touchdown returns. Okay. Naeem Hines had two. two. And then Devin Duvernay, Keyshawn Nixon, uh, Keen, uh, I'm not sure how to say this person's name. Uh, and then uh, Cordero Patterson, uh, they all got a touchdown. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's clearly a rarity. Yeah, it's I just think it's something that's becoming rarer and more rare. But yeah, I I don't know. I like our return game. It's certainly better than watching DJ Dallas. And whether it be punts or kickoffs, I don't want to see Tyler Lockett doing that ever again. He's getting too old. It made Fair me nervous. Is so good though. Uh, he is, but come on, man, you gotta. Like, you gotta you gotta add a few more a few more games to his lifespan. But yeah, happy. Uh, so with it's it. an interesting thing. So Godwin had uh, eleven returns on the season. DJ Dallas had thirteen. So they're comparable numbers to be able to kind of take a look at. Uh, DJ Dallas, his average return was twenty point eight yards, which I think all of us could have said that it was going to be less than twenty five, because his frustrating tendency to bring it out and not get to the 25-yard line. Doesn't have that um, burst of speed that I want in my kick returner. Uh, so Godwin, 28 yards per return, was good enough for sixth in uh, people with 10 or more returns. That's honestly 
sixth in the National Football League, I'll take that all year long. Now, that is someone that I could see bringing it back for a touchdown. Um, not that I think we need it. I uh, That's kind of a cool bonus play, and it's something that is obviously exciting, but they're special. It's a treat, you know? I want consistency. I want, again, just good decisions with the ball. Get us in, in good field territory so we can actually score those touchdowns. A lot. It isn't the most exciting thing when you see someone who takes the return and they kind of get that past that first crease because mm-hmm. you're like, and the whole crowd just goes like, oh, and it's like maybe they only get to like the 30 or the 40. But there's that split second where you're like, he didn't get tackled. He could be going for a touchdown. And it's like, you know, logically, there's way more things that have to happen. But in your head, you get that like immediate endorphin rush of like, oh, this could be a good one. Yeah, it's it's kind of like... uh I don't watch, uh, you know, a lot of soccer. I don't watch a lot of European sports, but a lot of those are built off the big play, the big moment, and that's the big moment in the NFL, in my opinion. <laughs> like that's as a couple of a uh, of uh, couple of uh, was it George Carl Seahawks uh, or uh, Sonics fans, um, the breakaways. Oh yeah, that's it's... yeah a, a kick return just starting to get past like the initial set of blockers reminds me of like when the big like breakaway pass happens and it hasn't quite been received yet. And you don't know where the player is catching up to it and how much room they'll have to make a play on the basket. But there's that split second of like, Oh, this could be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. There's no defender there. Who's going to get it. Oh, it's Vincent Askew. Oh, okay. (laughs) Vinny asked. Okay, cool. It's going to be like a a mediocre layup. Oh, it's Sam Perkins. Uh, he just he 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 hates dunks. Yeah, he and he couldn't he couldn't make it because he's too slow and too high. <laughs> uh, he's going to uh, slow up for the world's slowest three pointer from the top of the key without jumping. <laughs> exactly, and somehow still never get blocked. That's right. So we still had DJ Dallas on punt returns. He was thirty first in the league with seven point three. Is that something you'd like to see us target? Do you want to see somebody else come in for punt returns, or do you like? how sure-handed DJ Dallas is. Um, he seems to be able to, like, he's a good guy for the fair catch. He's, which is a weird thing to say, but, you know, somebody who doesn't really fumble it, doesn't really get muff punts, um, that does add some value. Or do you want to see a little more risk with a little more chance of the big play on this? Um, DJ Dallas not on kick returns is good. On punt returns, I think he's fair. Like, I don't mind him being on punt returns. Kevin, I think this is a spot the DJ Dallas can lose like he has it right now, but a rookie, a young guy, a young, a young body, someone that we, we pick up from some, you know, who gets cut, who's made, maybe made some good returns, you know, on another team. That's someone I'd like him to split time with, or, you know, maybe take a look at. I think that's definitely a position that you can look to improve just because you're safe with DJ Dallas. Doesn't mean that I think you can, you can just be like, ah, oh, you know, we're good there. Like that's that's a that's something I'd like to improve. Only because DJ lacks that uh, that ne- next level speed. You know, he's a safe floor. Yes, and that's okay. But uh, again, I want good decisions over everything else. But you can you can have explosiveness and still make good decisions. Yeah, and uh, so moving to the flip side of that. Um, I know that our kick coverage teams have been like the last, the first couple of years coming out of the Legion of Boom era were kind of the bane of our existence. It's always rough when you see a team that can't really handle their coverage. And this year I felt like the team's kick coverage was good. Like I felt like the other teams didn't really get a lot of good returns on us. And so I kind of went on the hunt for numbers that would back that up. Uh, But just off gut feeling, what did you notice? And I'll give us some numbers for that. I like that you're the numbers guy because I am Mr. Gut Feeling. Um, ever since Larry Izzo took over, uh, what, two years ago or a year and a half ago? Uh, yeah, national title basketball winning coach, great special team. <laughs> Our special teams on kickoffs and basically any sort of kick coverage, uh, punt or kickoff, it's my my belief, just from what I see, is that it has been solid. Uh, now there's going to be some times where you know a guy gets an extra twenty yards, um, just because a guy breaks contain on a kickoff doesn't mean you have a bad coach or a bad system. If it's happening a lot, then yeah, that's a bad coach, and that does not happen a lot here. Uh, it's um, I just think Izzo's got his guys where they need to be, and it, um, 
I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think also kind of the roster churn is always something. We have some of those people that are um, fighting for playing time and kind of getting to show what they have on uh, those coverage teams is a big deal. And it is backed up in the numbers. I was really happy to see that too. So uh, Jason Myers is 25th in kickoff hang time. So his kick doesn't lay out there for that long. Uh, teams are we're sixth best at uh, like tamping down return yards. So Myers is getting the kick down there pretty quick. And our coverage team is getting down there and making a play on in a hurry. And the same thing shows out where uh, Dixon's 21st in punt hang time and third in uh, punt yards per return. Hmm. So that means that we're seeing good lane discipline. We're seeing uh, swarm tackling. We're seeing guys go down and make the big hits. And we all know a big hit on special teams is a great way to kind of fire up an offense or a defense. So, um, ah. yeah, so it's it's good to see the numbers kind of bear that out. Uh, last but not least, uh, I will give you a guess. Who do you think led the Seahawks in special team tackles? What wide receiver led the team in special team tackles? I'm not going to look this up. Um, uh, is it someone like Cody Barton? Okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna guess two. Okay, if it's not him, Colby Parkinson. Uh, no, Colby Parkinson's nowhere around there. I didn't think uh, so. Barton also. Uh, Barton did not make the top six. Um, of course not. It's tackling. The person who oh got there, uh, but the person who did lead does share a position with him. Oh, hold. Tell me, I'm, there's no way. Captain, my captain, Nick Ballor. Oh, fifth, tied for fifth in the NFL with 13 special team tackles. This makes sense. He's Mister Special Teams. And then another guy who shared a position with him, uh, Tanner Muse, was tied for third on the team. Okay, six, Tanner six. Tanner Muse is is the guy that I'm like. What what weird name is it who who led the team? Tanner Muse would be my pick in uh, <laughs> just in a name that you're not going to think of, but was actually solid on special teams. Good for you, Tanner. This is another guy we could get back on the cheap, too. I kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, uh, I, um, oh, gosh, I always want to get it mixed up with the 90s basketball player. I think it's Joey Blunt is the one we have. Oh, yeah. It's safety. It's not to be confused with Corey Blunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, with six, uh, DJ Dallas had five special team tackles. DJ Dallas is an integral part of our special teams um, in more ways than just his uh, somewhat limited returnability. He's, um, you know, Travis Homer was second on the team with seven uh, special teams tackles. I feel like if Dallas ends up inheriting Homer's role, I do feel that he can kind of fill those shoes as well. And then Derek Young also had five special teams tackles. Ah. So good to see kind of uh, guys on rookie contracts, guys uh, down the roster performing well on a special teams unit. That's yeah, performing well. spreading the wealth too. It's good. Um, so, uh, any other like, uh, overarching thoughts on special teams this year? No, I mean, it really good thing. Nathan's gone because we really hit the whole team, uh, kickoffs, touchdowns, tackles, uh, coaching. We, we did it all, Kevin. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and move into the money zone. Um, there are many ways that you can support the Seahawks Nest podcast. I. You could, you could engage with us on social media. You could go to our Discord and have a conversation with us. Uh, get in on talk about barbecue and apples and all sorts of things that you can put in an Andy Reid cup um, or bowl, depending. Uh, you could join our Patreon. Um, I cannot read off the list of names, but we could try and guess them. Uh, I can um, just go to the Discord. Mics. There's, uh, you know, there's there's people from Australia. They're all very cool. Um, there are former co-workers of Eric's and uh, <laughs> other people who joined in the early years. Uh, because Patreon's interface is terrible, I can't actually access that without Nathan here. So, Andy, Astro, Flocktimus, uh Brett, Azrib, uh, uh, it's all I got. I'm just... Okay. <laughs> I did it. 
so thank you to all of our patreons um thank you to those of you leaving five star reviews on wherever you're listening to this podcast and now we're going to move into uh seahawks Nest movie club yes and in honor of nathan um you know he's he's homesick um he's got little ones at home uh they may or may not be sick still and you know sometimes when you're homesick you just you just need something that you can uh you can take your mind off your illness for a little while and something i like to do i don't know if you like to do this eric when i'm homesick i like to throw on like a long movie Mm -hmm. um especially one that i've already seen so that i can just kind of uh fade in and out of my uh fever coma and uh don't have to worry about like changing the movie over. i was gonna say don't don't feel bad about falling asleep yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so that's something i thought of and i was like wait a minute nathan hates long movies that's that's one of his least favorite things on earth and so how can we turn this around and it is what is a movie that is over 150 minutes long, long or longer that doesn't feel like it's two and a half hours. Uh, did you want to go first? Do you want me to go yeah, first? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to lead in. I mean, I think we can do a couple quick hits without without going too deep in the list. Um, the one thing I'm finding in, is going through, like, you know, list me some movies so I can try and pick some. There's a lot. Like, I don't know what it is. I could recommend a lot of movies. But... I noticed with just about every movie that I want to recommend and some, some that I love that I wouldn't recommend only cause you know, some people be like, Oh, Eric likes boring movies. Um, <laughs> I don't like there would be blood cause it's boring. I'm like, well, I, I love the tension of that. Um, why is Eric always recommending the dark Knight? Cause it's awesome. Uh, but most of these movies are going to have a, and because they're so long, like, I don't understand interstellar. Anyway. I don't understand time travel. Um, 15 minutes of bumming you out. Lord of the Rings. It's not even Christmas. <laughs> Nathan throwback. I'd say Lord of the Rings is like the only movie that doesn't have a bum out period. Like all these movies have just times that will bum you out. So I would like to recommend. Um, and I, I hope you would like this too, a classic heist by a classic Ooh. director who likes, uh, you know, throwing long movies at you. And that's Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown is a nice long movie that um, has you thinking, has you watching, has you paying attention, has a great list of characters. It's also the Quentin Tarantino movie a lot of people don't think about. Uh, It's easy for me to put, excuse me, put Pulp Fiction on this list, but that's like recommending a movie everyone has seen. Um, Inglorious Bastards, I like a lot of that movie, but a, I think it's way too slow overall. Um, and The Hateful Eight is even more slow than that. So, um, yeah, Hateful Eight, not a breezy. That feels its full runtime. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just throw Jackie Brown out there to start. I may, after you're done, I'd like to maybe sprinkle a couple more in, maybe a couple and, PTA movies. And Eric Rondebeck special do with Jackie Brown. I know you have a, a bit of a partiality to that. I one. do, I do like it. Um, so I was thinking about a movie that is, um, it's two and a half hours long, but I feel like it's exactly 150 minutes and it feels its length only in that if you ever were stuck on a roller coaster for two and a half hours of continuous running, um, at the end of it, you'd be like, okay, I need to take heart medication and lay down. And that is the raid Two. Ooh. The sequel to the raid is somehow 150 minutes of it's it's really nonstop. Even its downtime just feels like you're catching a breather. Kim, this is a great call. Uh, the the fight scenes. There's um, uh, when he drives the car into the warehouse and uses the car as a weapon mm-hmm. in a confined space. Um, the one that I can't help but feel is a bit of an homage to old boy, the uh, fight scene against the, the chick with the two hammers and the guy with the baseball bat. Kind of wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the fight choreography is super on point. Um, the way that it's like going inside and outside there's weapons and no weapons. Like this is like just a, this is an absolute like um, medley of every type of fight that you could ever think to see in a movie. All while taking place in, uh, not all, but a majority of the movie takes place in one building. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. This has a little bit more. This uh, explores a lot more space and has a longer runtime than the first raid, but it does still have that same like, like the tension comes partially from the containment, right? Yep. Yes. Um, I noticed what you're doing here because this is uh, this is very similar. A lot of people say your favorite feel good movie of all time rips this movie off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, dread. My, uh, my my calm down movie dread. Your calm down that's... movie dread, which you know maybe it does. I actually put the raid two on my list because it's streaming on Netflix right now. Um, yep. Man, I'm so glad you said that because I almost watched it this weekend, and now I'm definitely going to watch it this coming weekend. But yeah, it's um, I don't know. You can't go wrong with action movies that you not only that you don't really need to. You don't have to worry about taking your eyes off it. It gives you a reason where you don't want to take your eyes off it, but also the plot is just spread thick enough, not thin enough, but thick enough to not really have you asking too many questions. Just super enjoyable movie. Yeah. And just a sequel that holds up to the original is always good. So yeah, that's, that's my number one pick, uh, the raid two. Do you want to bounce back and forth on a couple of movies then just for like quick hitters? Yeah. Um, I will, I'll just go do as many as you have and I'll just back you up on one or two. here. Yeah. I, I am a fan of there. There will be blood. Um, great acting performances. It's more or less turns into it. It's like a two man play between Paul Dano and, uh, uh, (laughs) Daniel day Lewis, not Edward James. Almost. Sorry. I have a uh, three, the wrong three names in my head. You need to figure out uh, Paul Dano's uh, middle name so you can pull that one off. I absolutely. <laughs> um, you also have um, uh, ta, 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 the Departed, the Departed, uh, Martin Scorsese's oh, the Departed. The um, it's it's a it's a very enjoyable movie, although um, maybe a little thick with the with the back and forth and the violence, and of course, uh, podcast favorite. Boogie Nights, another PTA movie. Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights feels like three different movies. It does, it does, and uh, it's like the three act structure is so strong in that one. As much as it's trying to be like a a movie, movie, it's too self aware and too funny sometimes. Like when uh, you know Mark Wahlberg and uh, what's his name are trying to record the record. Like that, whole, <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene is just too much. Like, come on, come on, you guys. No one's taking this seriously. It's too funny. All right. Uh, so one I like to bring up that's uh, a throwback for a long time. Uh, 1959's Anatomy of a Murder. Oh, wow. Going back. Uh, this one's crazy to me. So it's a, a, a Jimmy Stewart movie. And the thing that's really interesting to me about it is it's a 161 minutes. It is a courtroom drama. And I say that and your immediate reaction is, oh, good. I needed a nap. And somehow, like, it manages to, like, hit its pacing and its tension in a way that's really unique. It keeps a lot of momentum throughout the movie. It could easily be one of those movies you're like, my goodness, it never ends. But somehow it it really handles itself uh, really well. When was the last time you saw that, Kevin? Um, about a year and a half okay. ago. I would say it's got to be fresh because I haven't seen it in eight years, probably. So... Let's see. It was on my July 2021 hunt list. There you go. So I watched it. Yeah. So July 2021 was the last time I watched it. Um, and then I, a movie that does feel its length, but because it's like really heavy, um, two that I would think of immediately, uh, Zodiac, mm. uh, which is a really well done movie. And then uh, Prisoners, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Um, is one of the greatest working directors right now. Um, another Paul Dano performance. Have not seen that, Kevin. That's like my shame. I have not seen Prisoners. I mean, it's 153 minutes, man. That's like, why like, it's... Carve out time for a two and a half hour movie in your life. Like, I haven't seen Magnolias yet either. It's... Yeah. I... What are you going to say about it? You're like, oh, you couldn't carve out three hours? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I look forward to you watching Magnolia. I think we talked about this in 2020, but it is funny weird odd stupid and emotional all at the same time yeah that sounds about right yeah yeah and tom <laughs> tom cruise in the in the role of a lifetime uh my last one i was going to give is uh this is another one of those ones that's kind of 
it's not that it's uh, <clears throat> it's not that it's fast. It's that it's really clever the way that it handles itself because it's nineteen uh, sixties The Bad Sleep Well mm. uh, in a Kira Kurosawa movie, and it's I haven't seen it. So it's said to be a loose adaptation of Hamlet, but it's a two and a half hour movie that manages to keep its tension really, really well for the entire two and a half hours because it's like a revenge thriller where you have an incomplete set of information as an audience member, but you have more information than the people on the screen. Huh. And so you're trying to like collect pieces of information to figure out what's going on. It has a lot of really clever little ways of keeping you invested and giving you moments where you get to feel clever as things are, are going along. Um, that's another one that I think is uh, an older movie. And so it has to rely on kind of some older filmmaking techniques, um, but it's got some really masterful people working on it. And so um, being able to like let people play in the foreground and background of a scene or like setting up your camera in an area where a party's happening and letting a lot of information be happening while feeling um, still active and not passive. Um, I need to check that out. I was looking at <laughs> Kurosawa movies when you asked before the podcast. I was like, oh, he's got a few that I like, and I do, but I am not going to recommend all 17 hours of Ron to you, <laughs> which is a, a retelling of King Lear with like 500 people in authentic samurai armor on a hill. Um, yes, it's, it's like a, a seven samurai was another one where I was like, I can, I can recommend this, but I also can't recommend this. I, if, I would love to see Ron on the big screen, but I also don't want to be in a movie theater for like four hours. <laughs> I was about to say, can it, can it be in a movie theater, but the movie theater has my couch in it. Yeah. Like this is what I need. If I win the lottery, I'm inviting you all over for Ron, and you're each going to get your own recliner. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, so those are our, uh, if you also are uh, feeling a bit under the weather or in these long days coming up without any football on your television all weekend, you're looking for something to occupy three hours that doesn't involve a referee making you um, unconditionally angered then uh, you can welcome check out any of those movies. Um, and that's it for this week. So for Eric and the Ghost of Nathan, uh, I am Kevin, and we'll catch you next week. Go Hawks! <laughs>